Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. to talk about freedom from the law of sin and death and talk about freedom this morning. Uh, we began that last week, and uh, so I'm going to finish it this week. You've got the same notes on the back of your bulletin. I'll I add in some different things that might not be there. But um, I'm just going to kind of pick up where we left off. And before we pray, I want to ask you to open up Galatians and uh, chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4. But most of the time, we're going to spend in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today. We looked at Galatians 4 and 5 last week, and I just want to start there where we left off last week with Galatians chapter 4, and we'll begin reading with verse 1. But before we do, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. As we turn to your word, I just pray that you would open our hearts and give us ears to hear what it is the Spirit is saying to the church today. Lord, I pray that you would speak into our hearts in a way that we would know true freedom in our lives, because so much of what we consider freedom, we realize down deep on the inside, it's not really freedom. Lord, that you would set us free to be the people that you've called us to be and created us to be in you, in Christ Jesus, Lord. I pray that, that you would cause us to rise up above the benchmark of freedom that's uh, established in this generation, a freedom which is really just a slavery to sin, a freedom that says if it feels good, do it. If you want to do it, just do it. And it's not really freedom because it doesn't bear the fruit of freedom in our lives. It brings people into ever uh, spiraling out of control slavery. And I just pray, Lord, that you would set us free, that we would know the truth, and that the truth would set us free. And I thank you for this word and for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week when we were uh, beginning to talk about freedom, I talked to you about the word freedom in the New Testament and uh, gave you the Greek word for freedom in the New Testament and talked to you about how that word designates someone who is not a slave uh, it, it, it means specifically someone who belongs, someone who has citizenship, that they truly belong to the society or to the culture, uh, to the family that they are in, and how it therefore means that they are free to live their life at their own disposal. They are free to come and to go at will. And in, for the ancients, the most important of all freedoms, and I think it was that way for our founding fathers because they made it the First Amendment, was actually the freedom of speech. The freedom to speak one's own mind and to speak his mind with boldness, not to be censured for that, not to be condemned for that, but to freely express what's on the inside of him. And that's very important for us as Christians, and it's very important for us as a family of God and in the body of Christ. Because if we truly believe that each one of us are members in the body of Christ, submitted to the head, Christ Jesus, then we should truly also believe that once we've at least reached some level of maturity in Christ and we're truly following Christ, that we need to listen to each other. Because the Lord Jesus is speaking through each one of us. You know, in the New Testament, it tells us in 1 Corinthians that you may all prophesy one by one that each one may have a word to speak. This church uh, that we're going to be visiting uh, next week in Kansas City, and boy, it actually could be pretty cool if we could get to this place uh, and, and, and do something like this. Uh, but we have to trust one another in a way to be able to do things like this and trust the leadership in the church and submit to the headship of Christ Jesus. But actually at their church, they have a couple of, two or three microphones set up kind of towards the back in their church uh, building and uh, uh, during during the uh, service, but not in the middle of the sermon, obviously, but in decently and in order, as the scripture says, anyone really in the church is free to walk to one of those microphones and share a word that the Lord has put on their heart, and that actually quite often happens every every time I've been at the church. It seems like at least somebody does that, 
And it's important for us to hear what the Lord is speaking prophetically uh, through the members of the body of Christ. So freedom not only includes freedom of speech, and we're going to get to this today in 2 Corinthians, but that we have this confidence to speak our hearts out before the Lord. And if we have that freedom before the Lord, then we are able to have that freedom with each other also. And so we talked about last week how all ancient philosophers, and in the scripture we see this, believe that this kind of freedom is the foundation of a free state. That a state actually should be, and therefore I would say a local church should be, a fellowship of free men. We talked about how freedom doesn't mean that we have no law, because everybody has a law. But there's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which is the law of love, or there's the law of sin and death. And Christ has set us free from sin so that we might be slaves to God. He set us free from death that we might be slaves to righteousness. There's really no choice of not being a slave. It's just whose slave are you? Whom do you serve? And we talked about all of this last week. So let's look at Galatians chapter 4 again and begin reading with verse 1. I'll read a number of scriptures. We'll just go through this again. It says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. And we talked about this last week, that you may be free in Christ Jesus, but if you don't walk in the maturity that, that, that the Spirit, if you're not walking in the Spirit, then you're not walking in Christ's freedom. And because even a, a child who's actually heir to the kingdom or the estate of his father, he doesn't have the rights to that estate until he reaches an age of majority that's established by the father. And while he's a child, he still has to submit to teachers, guardians, and do what everybody tells him to do. And he can walk around saying, you know, hey, I'm the heir to this estate. My dad is so-and-so, and nobody's going to care because dad didn't give you the authority until you reach the age of majority. So then it says in verse 3, So also we, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And Abba is an Aramaic term that would be akin to what we say, Daddy. It's a term of an endearment, like Papa. It's what a little baby calls his child. So it's talking about this relationship with the Father that's very close and how the Spirit is in our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And I think you hear him there. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So there's a difference, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to, to go over this, but there's a difference in some of these Greek terms here and in the understanding. There's a difference between being a child and a son. And I know I'm not going to include here like son or daughter, etc., but you who are female need to understand this includes you also. So there's a difference between being a child and a son. So when it's talking about adoption in this context, it's not talking about adoption in the way that we think of a, adoption, that I went to an orphanage, uh, picked out a child who's not my biological child, and I made him you know, a member of my family. This, this adoption, what it's talking about, is this age, this kind of bar mitzvah age for Jews, this reaching this age of, of maturity that's established by the father. And the father now adopts the son. That means that he gives him the authority over the estate. He makes him an equal partner. He allows him to reach uh, his potential, and it comes through the father, to reach the potential that he was born for. Because he was born to be an heir, but he can't walk in the privileges of being an heir until he's old enough and educated enough and mature enough to bear the responsibility of being an heir, right? And so he's adopted. Now, I want you to notice that there's nothing in this that's saying, uh, you can just be baby Christians as long as you want to be. I mean, Hebrews says, uh, by, by the amount of time that you've been Christians, you ought to all be teachers by now. 
There's, you should not find any excuse for, for being an infant in Christ here. Because it's very much saying that actually this was all before you were saved. But now that you know Jesus, you should already be mature, even if you just really received the Lord yesterday. Well, if you really received the Lord and the Holy Spirit's on the inside of you, then you are following the Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit, and He's leading you to the Father God. So step up, step, up, step into the maturity that He has for you. And that means step into the freedom. Because freedom comes to people and is enjoyed by people only when they walk in the responsibility of that freedom. Then verse 8, however, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. You were slaves, in other words, to demons. You were a slave to the forces and the powers of darkness, whether you knew that's what they were or not. And maybe you thought they were gods, but they are actually not gods. They are fallen entities, fallen angels, powers of darkness. There would have been a time, not all that long ago, really, probably seven years ago before I moved back to America, that I would have said that modern people are mostly done with all those old superstitions. Well, that day is not today. We live in a society that is actively conjuring up demonic forces in our presence. And we live amongst the people who are slaves to demons. They are slaves to those things which are not really God's. And God is saying that we no longer be that way, that there is a difference between light and darkness and we walk in the light. Verse 9 says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, I love the way that's phrased, to, to know God, or rather, it's better for me to say that you've become known by God. How is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. And he's talking specifically about the Judaism of the Galatian church, okay? But this can apply not only to Jewish days, months, and years, but all the little regulations and superstitions that we put into our lives, and we live by those things instead of living in the freedom that is in Christ Jesus. Let's give you a really stupid example. When I was a kid, uh, we lived in a two-story house in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we had 14 steps in that two-story house. And my room, everybody's room was upstairs. I remember those 14 steps. I went up and down those steps every day of my life for years of my life. You know, I know that I can see those steps in front of my eyes. I could do it with my eyes closed. But when I went up to bed at night until I reached, I don't know what age, but you know, I was still in elementary school. I had this thing, this fear that some, I don't know why, but a skeleton was going to attack me when I got to those steps unless Standing on the fourth step with my left foot on the fourth step, I turned the light on behind me. I could not turn the light on before I got to the fourth step. And it could not, I could not go up the steps in the dark. It's totally stupid. It makes no sense. And it's not really, you know, something serious in the life of a child. But I'm saying, when you look at those things, and if you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, what are we living by today? Are we living in the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, or are we observing days and months and seasons and years? He says, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. He says, I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Now, he's going to say something here in just a minute that would make you think, oh, I don't want to be like Paul at all. But listen, he says, you have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that's the translation uh, that I have here in front of me, but it literally says in the Greek, because of the weakness of the flesh, okay? Because of the weakness of the flesh that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ, you received me as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? And I think Christ wants to ask us that question today. Am I becoming your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? So here's the deal. A lot of people think that when Paul was first, that Paul had some serious 
eyesight problems. And that's why he said you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. But that absolutely does not fit in with the narrative of Scripture. You can very easily just go to Acts chapter 14, and you can read about the time when Paul first preached the gospel to the Galatians. Because Galatia is a territory, uh, it'd be like saying to the Nevadans. He was actually going to different towns in Galatia, but he's preaching the gospel to these Galatians. And if you'll read that, you'll see that he was under intense persecution because of the freedom that he walked in in Christ Jesus. And that's the only reason why. If he would have kept going and doing all the little rules that the Jews wanted him to do, and he would not have, because it was the Jews that was persecuting him. It wasn't the Romans yet. And if he would have just, you know, done everything by the book the way they wanted him to do it, since he's a Pharisee, since he's a rabbi, and he wouldn't have been preaching all this freedom. And most importantly, if he would stop letting Gentiles and women come in and worship God together with, with Jewish men, because that was a huge no-no. You cannot do that. He was letting men come in and worship God and proclaiming that they were set free by God in Christ Jesus. It wasn't just the Christ Jesus part. Some of these Jews that persecute Paul, we read in Acts, actually believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So some of them are Christian Jews already, but they had this big scandal, this big deal that was settled in Acts chapter 15, that the men who are getting saved among the Gentiles, they must be circumcised. Now, I'm not going to go into what circumcision here is here today, but this was a, a very serious event for an adult male, and they have to be circumcised if they want to be Christians. Isn't that strange? And I said, oh man, that's so barbaric, that's so long ago. But how many of these things do we have that we put on to people? That if they truly want to be saved, then they have to do this, they have to act like this, they have to dress like this or something else. And it's more about an outward form and an outward show than it is about an inward change of the heart. Okay, that's why Paul was being persecuted. And in this persecution, if you read it in Acts chapter 14, he was stoned. Stone doesn't mean what it means today. <laughs> Sorry, I said that, I thought, well, somebody here doesn't know what I'm talking about. That means they take these rocks and throw them at you, okay? And they beat you down with rocks. They stand around with you with, in a circle and they beat you down with these huge rocks like they have there and like we have here in Nevada until you die, okay? And so they stoned Paul and they actually stoned him to the point, now the Bible doesn't say he died, we don't know. Maybe Jesus resurrected him. Maybe either way he resurrected him, he resuscitated him in any way. But it said, and these were experts at stoning people, by the way, and they believed he was dead. They left him there for dead. Can you imagine the pain that his body was racked in? I know, and it doesn't even say Jesus healed him. He did, but it's inferred. But what it says is Paul stood up, walked into the city, and started preaching again. So however Jesus healed him, he's got bruises and blood all over his body. And he's not feeling good, okay? Because many of you have experienced healing by Jesus and, and, and something even miraculous in your life. And you know that even still, you know, like Jacob, after the wrestling with the angel, you still bear some consequences in your body. And there are times when there's a complete miraculous healing, you know, but after getting stoned, the guy's in pain still. And there's a lot of courage and faith in his heart to stand up and go preach to them. When he says that you would have plucked your eyes out, he's just, you know, using this metaphor, that you would have, you would have done anything for me. And that's how much you loved me. Because there was such freedom in your hearts then. And he's saying, now, for some reason, you think I'm an enemy because I'm telling you the truth. Listen to me this morning. When the truth is spoken, people who are free in Christ Jesus, they embrace that truth and they receive that truth, even if it goes against what they want or what they think. Even if they pout about it for a day, even if they have to think about it, they're going to come back and they're going to have an open heart to receive that. Because freedom and truth are one and the same. There is no freedom without truth. Okay? People who are not free, like the Galatians, had become enslaved. They'd gone back to the elemental things of the world. They reject truth. They hate truth. And so Paul says, I'm actually become your enemy because I'm speaking the truth to you. And then he goes on in chapter 5, he says in verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. 
So therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. We talked about this last week. Freedom is not something that once you have it, you just automatically keep. It's the easiest thing in the world to lose. You can lose it in one second. You lose your freedom. A nation loses its freedom. A church loses its freedom. A family, an individual. Freedom is something you have to continually fight for. You have to stand firm in it. And you cannot allow yourselves to be subject to a yoke of slavery. And again, yoke is a word that not everybody always understands or thinks. But a yoke means that you're tied up to a system, to something else, and you can't get free from it. And you're plowing a field for that system, this system of slavery. He says, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. That's a play on words between circumcision and being severed. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law. You have actually fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Faith works. Faith doesn't sit still. If it's real faith, then it's working. And it works through love. Faith carries a responsibility. It's this responsibility of freedom. Um, I actually like the song we sang today, so don't get mad at me like I'm criticizing something, but I'm just this way. Sorry. But we're singing the song, and I, and I get what they're saying, but, but I find you in the doubt. Well, you actually don't find Christ when you stay in doubt. Now, I understand what they're saying. We're moving from doubt into faith. But we have to move from doubt into faith. Doubt is the laziest thing in the world. Doubt is just making excuses for not doing anything and not following Christ. And faith is something that you might not even feel all the time. But when you're working through love and you're fulfilling the will of God, you are walking by faith. Because faith without works is just simply dead, the scripture says. We've been set free from sin and we've been become the slaves of God. Now, just in case somebody gets confused by this, verse 6, and Paul wanted to make sure nobody got confused by this. But first of all, Paul himself is circumcised, 100%, okay, because he's a Jew, okay? He's, what he's saying is that if you are circumcised or you're not circumcised, it really doesn't make any difference, okay? Because I don't want anybody in here to think, oh, we had our son circumcised. Does that mean he's not going to be a Christian? That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is the outward forms, by the way, one thing about circumcision, it completely cuts women out of the fullness of the blessing of God, because it's something exclusively male, okay? So what he's saying is that the family of God is not like what you thought it was like. It actually was never like that in the Old Testament either, by the way, because Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness before the circumcision. Salvation always comes by faith, okay? And so what he's saying is the outward form of things what you think is freedom is not freedom the way God sees freedom. And so we need to get into the heart and understand what this is in the heart. Because he has set us free so that we would walk in liberty, not so that we would walk as slaves. Okay, and then uh, look with me just at verse 13. It says, for you were called to freedom. Your call is to freedom, brethren. Only do not, and then he explains to us what real freedom is. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. So if you, if the slogan on your t-shirt says, if it feels good, do it, you're not in freedom. You're walking as a slave. Because if you do everything that feels good, you might not live till next Saturday. Okay? You're in real danger for your life because you are a slave to sin. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, faith works through love, through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, then you take care that you are not consumed by one another. So it's interesting when he says, if you bite and devour, because when we first read verse 13 about uh, not turning your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, our minds 
tend to just think of fleshly things that are maybe sexual promiscuity or drugs or something else, I don't know. Okay? But what he's specifically talking about, again, is this freedom of speech because it's the foundation of all freedom. If you use your mouth, if you use your freedom of speech to bite and devour other people in the body of Christ or in your family or at home, you better watch out because they're going to use theirs the same way also. And before you know it, you're going to not wake up in the morning. Some neighbor's going to come over and find a bunch of dead bodies in your house, spiritually at least. You'll just destroy your own family. You'll pull the roof down on your own head. So don't use your freedom for biting and devouring one another. Use your freedom for loving one another and for blessing one another because you have a choice before you speak. You have a choice to walk in freedom or to walk in slavery. Okay, amen. So now let's go over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter three, and if you'll allow me to, we're going to go through the whole chapter, but I'm just going to take it a few verses at a time. And um, uh, the the central theme to the chapter is what we're going to get to. It's verse seventeen at the end of the chapter, where we read, "Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." And again. Liberty and freedom are just different ways in English to translate the same Greek word. They both have exactly the same meaning. And you'd be hard-pressed to find a difference between them in, in English also. So where the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So what I want to talk to you about right now and give you some, some points from these verses, and they're in your bu- bulletin on the back, there is what, what exactly is true freedom then? How do we recognize if we are free? If we are walking in freedom, okay? Not if we were born for freedom. Every person here was born for freedom, okay? Every person here who's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you have been set free. But are we walking in that freedom? Because that's where the battle is, that we stand firm and we walk in that freedom. So if we, and, and then I want you to recognize, if we're not walking in that freedom, then we are automatically, that means we are not walking in the Spirit. Because wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Wherever there is slavery, that is not the Spirit of the Lord. That's actually a really important thing for you to know in your lives. When you're in a perhaps religious atmosphere, perhaps highly moral atmosphere even, but you know that you're walking according to the elemental things of this earth and you're not walking in the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus, which will be described in this chapter, then that's not the Spirit of the Lord. It's just religion. It's just morality. But it's not the Spirit of the Lord. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, what is true freedom? And we're going to start just, I'll take a a few verses at a time. I want to start with verse 1. So in verse 1 it says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? So, we see that Paul has the same problem with the Corinthians that he was having with the Galatians. It's a reoccurring theme in Paul's ministry. Okay, Please do not ever think that if a minister is popular and has the biggest church in town, that that automatically means that he's doing the will of God. Because Paul is absolutely not popular. He has problems everywhere he goes. Now, you, you, shouldn't, you also should not think that if a church is small, oh, that means the pastor's doing right, too. You know? But what I'm saying is you can't judge things by the outward form. You judge it by the heart. So Paul actually has a very successful ministry when he starts out, but as he keeps going, uh, he's less and less popular <laughs> as he keeps going. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But he never wavers in the freedom that God has given him. He never judges the success of his ministry by how many people are listening to him. He judges the success of his ministry based only on this, am I speaking the truth of God? Am I working, my faith working by love? Am I doing the will of my Father? Exactly like Jesus, right? Because Jesus also never based it on that. In fact, in John chapter 6, 
he preaches such a message about drinking my blood and eating my flesh that the crowd just scatters. They don't want to hear about that. And then he looks at his disciples and says, bye, aren't you guys going too? And then Peter says, well, we don't have any place else to go. You're the only one that has the words of truth. In other words, we don't understand a word you're saying, but we're going to stick with you, okay? And so Jesus was never worried about the size of the crowd. He was concerned about, am I doing the will of my Father who is in heaven? And we see the same thing with Paul. So this is actually really interesting, and I need to show you a couple of things. Depending on what verse, if you have the King James, this is already done properly, but you probably don't have the King James. So in verses 1 through 3, there, we're going to see this word letter, okay? And then in verses uh, 6 through 7, we're going to also see in English the word letter. But you need to understand ahead of time, these are not the same word in Greek, okay? We just don't have any other way to say it in modern English. So that's why it's translated like that. In verses 1 through 3, and you could probably pick this up, but in verses 1 through 3, when it says letter, it's the Greek word epistoli. It's where we get the word epistle from. Okay, if you know the word epistle, like the epistle to the Corinthians. So it's the word epistle. And it, what it means is a message or a command that is sent, either in writing or by speaking. Okay? And so it's that kind of letter that you get in the mailbox. Okay? Somebody sends you a message and they write that out, a message or a command that's sent either by writing or by speaking. When we get down further in verses 6 through 7 and we see the word letter, it's the Greek word grama, where we get the word grammar from. And it means the actual writing, okay? The letters that are put on the page. And it's actually really important to understand the difference here so we can understand what's being said. So look at verse 1. He says, Do we, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? Now, this is pretty interesting because most people think that the church of the first century had this super high level of freedom in the Holy Spirit and they didn't have any denominations and control or all these. But that's actually not true. Okay? This word uh, to commend ourselves in the Greek, it means to uh, form a union from ourselves. It means literally to denominationalize ourselves. He's saying, are we beginning, the Jews were flush with denominationalism. I mean, it was all about you had to toe the party line. You had to look like this, you had to dress like this, you had to do this. Okay? And so Paul says to them, are we beginning to denominationalize ourselves? Do we need letters from the heads of the denomination that are located in Los Angeles or Washington or wherever they are uh, before we can come and preach? And this actually makes sense. You know, what if, if somebody contacted me and said, hey, I'm going to be in Yarrington next week, and I want to preach the gospel at your church. And I'm saying, who, who is this guy? I have no idea who this guy is or who this girl is, and I don't want this person to come to church simply because I don't know who they are. And how do I know what they're going to do when they get here, what, they're, what they'll say, how they'll act, or how they'll, they'll treat people? So the first thing you always do is like, hey, tell me more about this person so I can know who this person is, right? So that's completely normal. But what Paul is saying to them is, why are you expecting that from us? When I'm the one that came and preached to you from the very beginning, why do we need to do this again? And then he, it, 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 it says in verse 2, let me read verses 2 and 3, because you are our letter. And you are written on our hearts, and you are known and read by all men, being manifested or proven that you are a letter of Christ. Because you are written on our hearts, that means you are the letter of Christ that he is sending to this world. You are the message sent, you personally are the message sent from heaven that Christ is speaking to this world today. In other words, you are the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, you are cared for by us. You are written, not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now, Jeremiah prophesied of this, and many places in the Old Testament it is spoken of this, that there will come a day when God's law will be written 
on the hearts of people and put into their minds and not on tablets of stone. And in the Old Testament, they were written on tablets of stone that were given to Moses. It was cared for by angels and it was given to Moses when he was on the mountain. God had to even replace him because Moses broke them. And then they were tucked away into the Ark of the Covenant and nobody ever had a chance to look at them and they could read them because the scriptures were written down, of course, in, in the Torah, in the Bible that we have also today, but they were not written on people's hearts. They never had the power to walk according to those commandments because the Spirit of God did not live on the inside of them. They always hungered for something that they could not have. But you have this freedom in Christ Jesus, is what he's saying. That this has been written on your hearts, not on stones. So, the first thing I want to draw your attention to about freedom is that freedom is something... When you really are walking in freedom, it's written on your heart. It's who you are. It's encoded into your DNA. You don't even have to think about it. You know the difference between freedom and slavery. You know when you're breathing free air and when you're breathing air that's enslaved. And when you walk in that freedom, your life is read by people around you. And that sounds like a wonderful thing. But for Paul, it was a difficult thing. Because when you truly walk in freedom, people will hate that. People will not appreciate that. Because people do not like to be free. Don't listen to what they say. Don't listen to their slogans and their, look at their flags on the 4th of July. They don't want to be free. They want somebody to tell them what to do. Because they don't want to take responsibility for it. That's how our whole society is living today. People have just laid down, like I told you last week, if you read the Declaration of Independence today, you'd find more reason to rise up and overthrow the government today. I'm not saying overthrow the government, so I'm just going to listen. Yeah. But you'd find more reason for that today than they found in 1776. But nobody's going to do that today. Nobody even cares. Let me just go down to the pot shop and buy some more marijuana. Let me just chill out. Everything's cool. Everything's okay. It's not my fault. It's Joe Biden's fault. You know, it's somebody else's fault. People don't want to be free. So if you walk in the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus and you speak the truth in love, people are not always going to appreciate that. But how else do we preach the gospel? Jesus said that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. How will young people preach the gospel and truly walk in the freedom if they're not willing to stand out from their peers, to be different? Because to follow Christ means you're going to be going in an opposite direction. You're going to be different, and you'll walk in that freedom. So you'll be, you're, you're written by Christ, but you are read by all men. So there's two aspects to this. If you're walking in freedom, then it's written in your heart. But if you're walking in freedom, you're an open book that people can read what is written in your heart. Now look at verse 4. Verse 4 and 5, it says, Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, and this is the things that are written, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So the next two things that I want to point out to you about freedom are these. Freedom is confidence, and freedom is adequacy to every task in Christ. When you're walking in freedom, then you walk with your head held high. You walk with a confidence as concerning the things of Christ. You may not be confident to fly an airplane because you don't know how to fly an airplane. It doesn't mean you have some kind of pride. It doesn't mean you're stupid. It doesn't mean you're presumptuous. You know what presumption is? Presumption is when Satan tempted Jesus and said, it says in the scripture that his angels have taken charge over you and won't allow you to cast your foot against a stone, so jump down from the pinnacle of the temple. And Jesus says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And he did not jump down from the pinnacle of the temple. True freedom is not going to just dive off the pinnacle of the temple, not do stupid things. Oh, I'm free in Christ. I can do anything I want to do. But when you are free in Christ, you have a confidence within the sphere of your calling, within the, 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 the home that God has placed you. 
the place that he's placed you. You have a confidence in you. And a confident local church looks a whole lot different than just a bunch of people that show up on Sundays randomly. There's a confidence in ministry. And there's an adequacy to every ministry task that the Lord gives us. So he gives you VBS, for example, and you're looking a month out and thinking, oh my gosh. Actually, we're talking to him, so we say, oh my God. How, how, my God, how are we going to do this? This is impossible. And we're just going to walk by the Spirit. We'll walk in the freedom. And he gives you by the Spirit this adequacy to fulfill the task that he's called you to do. If you are not sensing that God is calling you to get outside of your box and do more than you can do in your flesh, you're probably not walking in the fullness of freedom in Christ Jesus. Because when you're walking in the freedom of Christ Jesus, he is constantly challenging you to grow, to grow in that freedom. And then the next thing is what we see in verse 6, that freedom gives life and freedom vanquishes death. It puts an end to death. So where there is freedom, there is ever-increasing life. Because the Spirit gives life, but the letter kills. So you know that you're walking under the law of sin and death when everything around you is dying. Just like if you've got a garden and everything's dying, you figure, we're doing something wrong. We probably sprayed some spray there we shouldn't have sprayed, or something's wrong with the soil. You can tell that you're not walking in freedom when there's death all around you. Because freedom brings life, and it brings life into your life. Now look at verse 7. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, and it's talking about the Old Testament story of Moses on the mountain, it came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face. Fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, that's the ministry of the law. The law simply condemns us. The law says to me, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. And then every single sin I've committed in my life comes before your face, and the law condemns you. But it's, a, it's not because it's evil, but because it's designed as a teacher to bring us to a place of repentance, where we turn to Christ Jesus for our salvation. But if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. So next thing I want to tell you about freedom, that when you're walking in true freedom in Christ Jesus, then that freedom waxes in glory. You know the difference between waxing and waning? When the moon is waxing, it's getting more glorious, right? When it's waning, it's getting darker and darker and darker until you can't see it anymore, right? Freedom waxes in glory. As a nation today, we are not waxing in glory. We are waning in glory. Everyone knows that. That means that we have lost our freedom because freedom waxes in glory. The ministry of condemnation, the law. When Moses came down from the mountain, it's just an example that the Holy Spirit gives to Paul to use here. When Moses came down from the mountain with those tablets, that people could not look at him. His face was shining with the glory of God. It was like they were looking into the sun itself. It was so bright. And so he put a veil over his face so that he could talk to the people. And it must not have been some thin veil, but you know, it's heavy veil he was wearing over his face so the people could at least look at him. Well, a few days, a little bit of time goes by and Moses gets up and looks in whatever kind of mirror that they had back then. I don't know, looks in a pool of water or a piece of glass or something. And he's like, hey, man, the glory's fading away. You ever get one of those nice suntans? You know, and then you realize, hey, man, the whole thing's fading away. So let me get some of that suntan lotion stuff that makes the fake tan or go down to the tanning salon to keep the tan. And then you have these people that really, it's not so much now because everybody's concerned about skin cancer, but you have these people that, remember these people that in the middle of winter, 
when it's just really cold, they're just walking around like they just came from the Bahamas, and you're like, man, that looks kind of weird. But anyway, at least I always thought that. But that's probably just my jealousy for having fair skin. I don't know. But um, uh, anyway, the glory's fading. Well, Moses doesn't want to own up to the fact that the glory's fading, so he keeps the veil on so that nobody can see that the glory's fading, but it is fading because the ministry of condemnation, this slavery, this, this, this bondage to the law of sin and death, it, w- it will be recognized by waning glory. And the ministry of the Spirit waxes in glory. So much so, and many of you know people, I could point out people in this very room right now, many of you know people that no matter how old they get physically, and though their physical body may wane in its former strength or what they're able to do or something like this, there's some energy from the inside of them that is waxing in glory. And you look at them and you realize that person's still young. They're getting younger the older they get. And that's such a glorious thing. When you rise up before the gray-headed or the gray-bearded, as it says in the scripture, and you recognize the crown of glory that's upon their head, and they don't have to cover it up with a bunch of, I don't know, makeup or whatever they, they do, or a veil of some sort. But it shines, the beauty shines from the inside of their heart. For all you young people, when you are going to get married, find the beauty that's in the heart. Because it will wax. The beauty of the body definitely uh, wanes over time. Okay, so let's go on to the next thing. Look with me at verse 12. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, having such a hope... We use great boldness in our speech. Great boldness in our speech. So freedom emboldens the expression of truth. When a people are free, there will be more truth spoken. We have the complete opposite situation in our nation today. We're being lied to all the time. And we know we're being lied to. And we actually have come to a place where we try to decipher the truth by reading between the lines of the lies. You know what I'm talking about? There are so many lies that you don't know what the truth is anymore, and you try hard to understand what this actually means. And, you know, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but, but we have a, a uh, uh, it's just sad. I mean, we have right now a government and especially in the White House, that purposely obfuscates the truth. We don't even know if the President of the United States is mentally competent or not. And everybody thinks he's not and laughs about it. But then you start thinking, wait a minute, what if that's just a show they're putting on to manipulate our minds, and then you don't even know what's the truth anymore? It's not plain stated anymore. It's not obvious anymore. And so that is a hallmark of slavery, not of freedom. Jesus said, I have called you my friends. I no longer call you my slaves. Because a slave does not know what his master does. Do you know what they're doing in Washington, D.C. today? No. That means you're slaves. And that's not what our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, says we are supposed to be. And that's okay. Because that's the way the world's going, and I really believe it's going to keep getting worse before it gets better. But we cannot be slaves in the house of God. We have to walk in the freedom that's in Christ Jesus. I was just talking with, with Stephen yesterday about this. For I won't go down the road of why we were talking about this. But remembering when the whole COVID thing was happening, and we were supposed to shut the church down on that Easter, and the police even came out here, and John was there with me. That was a fun day. Man, John walked in his freedom that day. And, uh, and I remember with that whole COVID thing, for me personally, I kept hearing this message that we're all going to die if we go to church. And I know it's not true, but the more I hear it, the more I begin to doubt. What if I'm wrong? The consequences of this. You know, what if I kill everybody by keeping the church open? And I'm, I'm serious. And it was, a, it, it was genuinely a scary thing for me. And then I just finally came down to, well, the Bible says go to church, so I'm going to church, and if people want to stay home, I'm not going to condemn them, but I'm going to go to church. And I'm not going to close the doors, because that's what the Bible says and like Esther said if we perish we perish but we're going to take a leap of faith and just do what the Bible says well it turned out that 
a huge portion of what we were being told was a complete lie, and everybody knows it now, right? But you didn't know it then. And that's why when there's freedom in Christ Jesus, there'll be an expression of truth. And we need that truth in our presence today. We need to be speakers of truth. Uh, the Greek word uh, here in, in this verse, and it's used in other places in the New Testament, like come boldly before the throne of grace, where it says great boldness, it's the Greek word parousia. And parousia means technically freedom of speech. It's what the Greeks called freedom of speech. So he says, where there is freedom, where there's freedom, we have a hope and we use great freedom of speech. We operate in that freedom of speech, speaking the truth. And then look at verse 13. It says, we are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. I don't want to break anybody's heart today. But on the world scene, as a nation, our government is putting a veil over the fading glory so that nobody will see that happening. But people are seeing it happening. And they're losing confidence in what once was called the American dream. That's just the way of nations. But it should not be the way of a church, ever. We're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, and this is true today, for Jews, when they read, Orthodox Jews are reading the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, but it is removed in Christ Jesus. I've heard testimony after testimony of Orthodox Jews and non-Orthodox Jews, but living in Israel, who have come to know Christ Jesus, and they all say with different words, in that moment in time when Christ Jesus came into my life, the veil was lifted. I suddenly got it. Suddenly I understood it, and I could never understand it before. So Paul says the veil is lifted. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the next thing I want to tell you about freedom is that it is characterized by an unhardened mind to the truth in Christ. When a person walks in freedom, they have an open mind, not to hear nonsense, but an open mind to the truth in Christ Jesus. When a person's mind is closed to the truth, it's because they are slaves. Freedom opens our mind to the truth in Christ Jesus for the simple reason that Jesus said in John 8, 32, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That phrase is used across the board in everybody's speeches. The truth will make you free. But what Jesus actually said is you will know the truth. Truth that you don't know doesn't set you free. Okay, truth sets you free when you know that truth, when you receive that truth. And mind you, there's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There's your point of view and my point of view, but if we are following the truth, we'll end up at the same place because there is only one truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. So where there is no truth, there is no freedom. Where there is truth, and that truth is freely spoken and known by people, then there are the seeds of freedom. So why, why does freedom hunger for truth? Because freedom survives only on truth. Truth is the air that freedom breathes. And then in verse 17, we'll finish with this last point, verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. This book right here, by the way, is the mirror. We behold the glory of the Lord. We see ourselves in the Word of God. We see ourselves the way Jesus sees us, the way God sees us through Christ Jesus. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, 
just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Just like some of you, many of you, fixed your hair in the mirror this morning. I did not. I just do this, because I already know what's there. But like many of you fixed your hair in a mirror this, this morning. So we look in the Word of God, and we see this is how God sees us. This is how God loves us. This is what he believes about us. This is what is written about us. And as we meditate and we live in the word of God, as Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word and we continue in the word, then we fix our hair, we fix our lives, we fix our behavior, we fix our speech to come in line with the vision of freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to go to one one more verse of scripture and just read this to you. It's from Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, and we'll end with this. Proverbs chapter 6. Anybody fighting ants this year? Man, they're bad this year, aren't they? Pray for rain and all the bugs come with it. So if you're fighting ants, keep fighting them, but while you're doing it, listen to Solomon. Because there's something to learn. Verse 6 of chapter 6, they, they had a lot of ants around the temple too, I guess. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Remember this. We've already been talking about this this whole time. A slave is a sluggard. Slavery, a sluggard means you're lazy. A slave doesn't know what his master's doing. Every good slave does the bare minimum just to get by. I learned that working for Hodges Quality Meats. I won't go into the whole story, but I was trained by my dad with the American work ethic. You work hard, you'll get ahead. Well, I learned at Hodges Quality Meats, if you finished your delivery route early and got back to the dock at two in the afternoon, they were gonna make you work till eight in the evening. So if you wanted to get off at five, take a long lunch and drive really slow and talk to a lot of people while you're going, so you get back to the dock at four o'clock. Anybody ever experienced things like that? When you don't know what your master's doing and you're not in charge of, any, of anything, you do the bare minimum. So he says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard, and when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond, like a hobo, and your need will come like an armed man. It will come on you so suddenly, and you'll realize, I don't even have enough space on my credit card to cover this, because you didn't learn from the ant. Listen to the lesson of the ant. The ant, and you can go to ants and see this, how in the world do they find sugar in a Ziploc bag and they know where it is? No matter where you hide it until you put it in the freezer and then it's all frozen like a rock when you want to use it. How do they find that? I mean, I know you can go find out scientifically, but it's amazing. I mean, truly, it is miraculous how God created ants. And they do this without having any chief or anybody tell them what to do. And they march in perfect lines. They go where they're supposed to go. They do what they're supposed to do. They take the food where it's supposed to go, right? Everybody knows how ants work. And he says, you may not like ants, but there's a lesson to be learned from them. You are members of the body of Christ. And we have a head who is Christ Jesus. Why do you need to get a text message? Or why do you need to get a swift kick in the you know, spiritual booty to, to get on and start doing what God wants to do in your life? You know what I'm saying? That we are to be like these ants, that we don't have to have a chief over us other than the chief who is Christ Jesus. Peter said that he is the chief shepherd. You know, if you're in a position where you need to be like that child who's under guardians and under control, you know, if you just need the pastor to check up on you every day and somebody to keep control over you, then realize that means that you're still a baby. And you don't have an excuse for that. You need to grow up. I'm not saying the pastor doesn't have any job to do because he has plenty of job to do. But I'm saying in our, in our lives that this is not about being submitted to a church hierarchy. Paul said, have we come to you to denominationalize ourselves? Do we need to submit to a church hierarchy now? Are we such slaves that we're not going to do the will of God and fulfill the Great Commission without somebody forcing us to do it? 
I mean, do I need to, uh, do, do, do we need to get the church board up here every Sunday and beg for finances so that people give and we can cover the expenses of the church? Or isn't it enough once a year to say, here's the budget, this is what we got to do. Let's all just obey Jesus and follow Jesus and walk in the spirit. Because the blessing comes when we give cheerfully. That's just one example. VBS, another example. Taking, the God, taking these kids on this trip, another example. You know, taking the gospel to other nations, preaching the gospel around the world. We have a huge vision. And there's room for everybody to fit into it. Okay? I, lo- I actually love our worship team right now. And I'm sure there's plenty of things that they want to work on. But I just love that people have just volunteered. You know, just come on. I, I just want to be a part of this. I don't have, you know, I'm, they have great voices. I'm not saying that, but I don't think anybody here went to a special voice college and graduated from Juilliard or whatever that's called or something like this, or even felt like, hey, I want to stand on the stage and sing until there was a call. Hey, there's an opportunity. There's a place you can fit in. There's a place you can volunteer. And that sounds like I'm preaching to you about slavery because if it does, then you're still a slave. Because what I'm really preaching to you about is freedom. Freedom. I quoted some presidents, ex-presidents last week. And uh, he's got a nephew running for president now, so we could quote John F. Kennedy, right? I mean, he's on a coin there. I understand you're not Democrats. But we quote him. You all know what he said. You shouldn't ask what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. I think that was country. But what's the difference? When we walk in freedom, then we realize that we're responsible for this place we live. This is our home. This is our place. And so Paul says, stand firm in the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. You may think that being a sluggard, and I'm not, don't get offended. I'm not calling you sluggards. You're great people. VBS was awesome. I'm talking to myself here too. I may think, I mean, you know, being a sluggard, just laying at home, Oh, God, if it's, if it's your will, it'll just happen. I don't have to do anything about it, you know. That that's a way to freedom. It's a way to slavery, and it's a way to death. Let's stand together. Father, I just thank you for your word, and I pray that in all of this, these verses we've read today, they do speak to our heart, Lord, that just like the vitamins and the elements that are in the food that... We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvillianfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.